You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. With me today is Matt Valley. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you, Priscilla. Glad to be here. Yeah, we have so many mutual friends and now we, we're we just BFFs. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Works for me. Well, it's been really fun talking with you about um, some of the things that, you know, we're, we're in like this, I'd call it a posse or a tribe out on LinkedIn that get to discuss a lot of interesting <laughs> research things. But let's get started by really telling our audience uh, why you're actually here on the show with me and what it is you do at stri- as a tr- strategic account executive over at UserZoom. So if we can kind of, let's start there. What are you doing there? but then I'm going to get it to the juicy part about how you arrived there and really what you bring to the table there. But let, let's start there. What are you doing day-to-day at UserZoom? Day-to-day at UserZoom, I'm responsible for a very small handful of some of our biggest and best customers at UserZoom. So I ensure that they're getting the greatest value that they can get out of our products. Uh, I work to help expand our presence uh, within those customers of ours. Um, and uh, just make sure that uh, I'm helping to elevate the digital maturity of the teams that we're working. Okay. Well, I love this idea of digital maturity. Okay. Now, can I can I actually brag on you a little bit about some of the companies I know you happen to work for? <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you've heard them. <laughs> there are Amazon, Aetna, Capital One, eBay, Facebook, Google. I mean, come on, come on. The, the, the list goes on and on. So these companies are really looking at their digital experiences and they are really looking at it and saying, what are our customers doing? And not only what are they doing, but what do they love? What do they want to do? So tell me about the perspective that these companies come to user Zoom with. What are they saying? Look, you, Matt, you've got to be delivering this to us day in and day out? That's a great question. Um, I guess I would, I would answer it by saying, first of all, that uh, the, the overarching strategy that companies choose to compete on has really changed over the years uh, in my experience, my professional experience. And so much of it now is about customer intimacy uh, and really in the digital environment that really means the user experience, especially when uh, people can switch platforms just like that. You know, if I can't figure out what I need to do within two seconds, I'm gone because I have many, many other options. Mm. So companies are really trying to differentiate based on the user experience. And it's hyper, hyper competitive. You think about how much focus there's been on design 
you know, I guess Apple is the famous one, but there are so many other great design companies in the digital space that the competition is, is intensely fierce. And right. uh, in order to even just keep pace, you really have to deeply understand that user experience uh, and optimize it to the extent that you can uh, in order to, to just play the game. Right. Well, you know, we don't even remember like a world, for example, where we couldn't pick our seats on a plane online before we actually got the ticket. <laughs> right? Going up to the counter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you heard uh, Nate Bargatsky lately, but he had the most great, you know, stand up. He's like, I went to the counter to buy a ticket and the lady did not know how to do it. <laughs> and it's just like, it's so funny because this, it's such a short time, but that's really what I want to hone in on with you. So before COVID hit, this was a massive undertaking at companies. I mean, it's not just because the masses realized it after COVID <laughs> that there was a, a major focus on the digital experience and, and that what you call like that consumer centric, uh, you know, experience. Um, this had been happening for many, many years, and we're going to kind of tap into your research about what you know about that. But let's get a little bit of info about what did change for some of these companies that you serve when they hit COVID, because you just alluded a little bit to me about kind of the um, evaporation of brand loyalty, <laughs> mm -hmm. if we could put it that way. If people have a negative experience online, they're gone. So yeah. walk me through a little bit what these companies, even ones that were really very um, invested in digital transformation and creating fantastic digital experiences, what were they thinking during COVID and how did they proceed? I guess I can answer it talking a little bit about the grocery space, which was one of the, the industries that was most disruptive, I, disrupted, I think, by COVID. Um, and we saw just this massive explosion in the use of Instacart and Instacart all of a sudden rose as, as a, a very major player in the grocery space. Uh, and Kroger kind of um, holding it down uh, in store, but they had already been on a, a digital journey themselves um, and all of a sudden really had to confront that in a big way. So um, at UserZone, we did a really interesting benchmarking study uh, on online retailers, both in the US and the UK. Um, and what we did is rather than, uh, like you would think of with market research, just doing surveys and ask, asking people what they think about their experiences, we actually run them through uh, tasks that are mission critical to a consumer when it comes to uh, doing grocery shopping. And then we can benchmark on those tasks. So how easy is it for you to find X, Y, and Z? Uh, and how does that compare across the landscape of, of um, grocery providers? Uh, and it really proved very, very interesting because we found that um, depending on how the site was laid out, uh, where the search bar was, uh, whether the focus was on search or on uh, finding products via menu, uh, how they add uh, how they add a product to their cart, how they um, do things like uh, create a favorite. These things have massive uh, uh, impacts on the user experience in terms of how intuitive it is, how easy it is, or how frustrating it is. And uh, we see that you know, some of the providers that you, you might expect to be really, really strong, uh, for example, Amazon in the UK, you might expect, oh, you know, they, they're digitally native. Uh, they would be great at this. But, but grocery is a different product 
than the other products that they use. And clearly there were some issues with just taking grocery and putting it on the platform uh, that just didn't quite resonate, didn't make it easy to shop for lots of products in bulk, for example. Do you um, think that there was something to be said for that, that even though that's the same user, that they were maybe even in a different mind state when they were going and buying groceries and when they usually just sit and browse for things they want on Amazon in general? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a, I mean, we know this as consumers, as we shop ourselves, we know how different that mindset is and that, uh, that certainly plays out in the broader market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that work? You know, we walk into a physical brick and mortar and someone says, how can I help you? And you're like, I'm just looking. But if you're yeah. really on a digital space, are you really looking or are you looking for something in particular and can you find it? But um, at the very end of this, Matt, I'm going to um, I'm going to give you a long list of companies that I'm very frustrated with. And, and please call them on my behalf. Okay. <laughs> Get them to figure out their dumb website. <laughs> so let's back up there a little bit about UX. So when you say UX testing, I know there's a lot of people out there who have heard of that, but really what's at the crux of, of UX and what kinds of things are you testing? Great question. Um, and, and I think this, is, this has been a very interesting um, journey for me coming from a background of market research you know, for many, many years, which uh, which really grew up as a quantitative discipline, quantifying how many people prefer X versus Y, right? So I think, and I've worked, I've done a lot of work over the years with, with Proctor, I'm very grateful to say, and, and the beneficiary of. And I think about Doc Smelser back in 1925, creating the first market research department within P&G in the late 20s, uh, you know, asking women which which uh, shape they prefer for their Cam-A bar of soap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, 60% of people prefer this one over that one. Okay, so let's go with this one, right? So, so very quantitative, quantitatively oriented from the start. We know that it's much more diverse now, uh, but that's really how it started. Uh, the genesis of say UX testing uh, is much more, much more qualitative in nature. So, um, it's much more dependent on the depth of insight you would get from a user interacting with a product or a digital experience. And you're looking for the pain points and you're looking for um, the frustrations and, and just the thought process that people bring to the table as they approach your experience. And so I cannot, I cannot tell you, Matt, how much I want you to use me as a guinea pig. I want you to watch <laughs> me use some products so I can just be like, could you fix this? Like, seriously. You can sign up to our panel. <laughs> yes. Okay. There you go. There's the pitch. Sign up to the, the user Zoom panel. So let's talk about that. You say yeah. panel. So you need people to participate. So, you know, in, yeah. in when you, when companies want to digitally transform, they don't just come up with this idea like, oh, this is at what, what we think our customers need. Let's go do this. They have a hypothesis about maybe even proof of what's going wrong, where sales mm-hmm. are slumping or when a competitor is eating their lunch. And we need to figure out then what's the hypothesis. And then we need to see it out in action, right? Now, at, tell me that and back me up if I'm wrong. Do they have a hypothesis or are they more grounded research? Just let's go out there and see what's going on. Often what happens is the, the hypothesis is, is really uh, around specific unmet needs, right? So we've identified an unmet need. Um, we're going to rapidly develop a prototype to address that need. Uh, 
Uh, and then we're going to get the user's input at every stage of the process as we prototype, you know, using, let's say, a design sprint type of process, right? Uh, and when the whole design sprint uh, mindset sort of started uh, in the 90s, right? Um, when, when that started, the, the testing was really, hey, let's recruit some people on Craigslist uh, and we'll invite them to a room and we'll walk them through this process and we'll you know, five, five or six people, right? And we'll take what we learn and, and we move on. Well, that model is still kind of in place, but obviously uh, because of the pandemic, um, so much of that work uh, is no longer being done in person, if any. Um, and now it's, it's online. And so it, in that sense, it looks more like market research type of recruiting, right? Because you're still recruiting people for, let's say, one-on-one -on -one exercises where you are uh, having them go through a series of tasks, usability tasks, and you're recording the experience and you're having them think out loud during that experience. Um, so you're still doing that either in a moderated sense or asynchronously you know, on their own. Um, but, but you still need the user, the qualified user, to go through a very real type of exercise, whether it be a prototype or a live site, uh, to be able to get that depth of insight that you need uh, to identify the problems, fix a prototype and move on. Well, now you're hitting into my thing that I love, which is ethnography. And as a cultural yeah. anthropologist, I'm all for it. <laughs> right, right. So that's really well, what it is, you know. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and I do, you know, um, I, I I do know that we have a lot of colleagues in common. Some of them are doing um, back to UX work in person. Some of them are doing it online. Some of them are doing it in an interesting hybrid way. So it, it's interesting to see how things are going to pan out. But let's back up a little bit into your research background. You've talked about it just a little bit. So in terms of the data, you, you have done, you know, so much different work um, from measuring ad um, efficacy to, um, and even you're a, a podcast host um, here in our, <laughs> in our little microcosm, our little world in, in research. Um, but with all of that, that experience with different products and platforms in the market research world, how has that experience informed your move over to UX research specifically? I would say that, well, first of all, I started out as a researcher by training. Um, so I worked client side for several years at what is now Thomson Reuters. Um, and I've spent the rest of my career for the most part supplier side, if you will. So much has changed, of course, in, in the research industry over that time. Uh, it's been pretty rapid. Tons of new techniques have come into play, you know, from bio-based and neural-based techniques to, you know, the old standards to big data, all those kinds of things, right? Um, but, and, and I've touched a lot of those. And I've learned enough over the years to realize that the thing that doesn't change is that people have a core business question that uh, gets translated into a research question uh, that you need to find uh, the right technique to, uh, to address. Uh, and then you, you get the results and then you translate that back into the terms of the business so the basic function of research doesn't change. It's only the types of data that are available or the techniques that are employed. And so a long time ago, I really took a very uh, agnostic approach to, uh, to the data, right? Uh, to whatever the source was, it doesn't really matter. I'm still answering business questions and, and research questions. And I, 
I think that that's really important because now we're starting to see with user experience research is really, really growing very rapidly. Um, much faster, I think, than, than the market research space is at the moment. Um, and so more and more, you start to see people that have maybe a background more like my own uh, making the switch to the user experience side. And the thing you have, to, you have to realize right away is that there is a different foundation, right? So if, if the foundation of UX research is sort of rooted in design sprints and getting really deep insight uh, amongst five or six people, and oh, by the way, you know there are quant techniques in you on the UX side as well. So there is some convergence there, but you have to think of the roots because the people that have been around this for a long time believe that you know five or ten people is enough people to talk to in order to get the kind of insight you need from a usability perspective. And there is actually a lot of research that supports that, um, and that's tremendously at odds with uh, kind of the the dogmatic sort of sample size approach uh, that comes from the research world. And there are reasons why both of them make sense in, in different situations, but you sort of have to, you sort of have to be open-minded and, and leave your, uh, your research dogma at the door. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And then, you know, there's also these, these things where qual and quant come and mix and, uh, yep. you know, and, and I think I love that approach of saying just, we're going to be agnostic about it. And I think any good researcher is, that's what we're supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be like saying, okay, well, we're, we're out here. We're going to let the research and the, the data speak for itself. But speaking of speaking for itself, I think the biggest underlying thing that I um, hear you saying is in terms of, you know, where companies are going and how they have to be online and how they have to have digital dominance online. I think the point underneath what you're saying here is that the customer is in control. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what's changed the world, right? The customer has all of the control because of all the choice that's available, very low switching costs in, in a lot of cases from one product to the next, a very loud megaphone when they don't like what they have. <laughs> and so companies have to be able to uh, address the, the customer uh, and make products that are easy and, and delightful, delightful for them to use. Did you hear that century link? You have to actually listen when I use my Twitter <laughs> and tell you to actually pay attention to me. <laughs> I told you I have a long list though. So I actually even have, you know, people, friends of mine all across the globe who every once in a while tweet at century link saying, can't you just fix Priscilla's problem? Cause we like her. <laughs> okay. Now I digress, but this is my podcast. So I get to digress into my own personal Absolutely. problem. Um, but let me ask you this about really the, the big, Bigger picture of it. You have had just the a wonderful experience working with some very big brands and obviously they have the budget for it. <laughs> but what <laughs> would you say to, you know, smaller brands, um, you know, me medium sized brands or smaller brands who have not yet taken that real step truly toward a UX program? What, what would you say to them? I'd say it's so easy to get started. There are a lot of tools out there. Um, you know, I mean, we live in sort of a golden age of tools, right? Uh, especially, I mean, in this space, like I said, it's growing very quickly. Companies recognize the importance of user experience. That invites lots, lots of uh, entrepreneurs into the space to help uh, help those companies understand consumers. So you can get you can get started. Um, very inexpensively with just basic usability testing. Uh, UserZoom has a product called UserZoom Go that does this. Uh, there are other competitors that, that do that very well. 
Um, but I think the key is just, just get started. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not like you need a huge set aside. Um, you can do it uh, pretty inexpensively. And even if you, uh, even if you're just running other employees through a prototype, for example, um, you can learn a lots of valuable things, you know, from people that maybe aren't too close to the product. Um, it's, uh, it, it's very, very easy. and can be very cheap uh, yeah. to, to set up. Yeah, and it's so just get a start. Just get a start. Just get it started. Get it started. (laughs) You know, it is just so funny because there is a perspective. You know that I'm I'm just always baffled when when clients or companies come to us. And they haven't even looked at their own website for eons. They have not even yeah. gone through their own checkout process. They they don't know what, you know, heaven forbid we should pick up a phone and, and call. What does it sound like when you have to, you know, when you have to call? I mean, I, I literally waited for three and a half hours for a callback from American Airlines yesterday. I mean, this <sighs> is like, you know, what are you talking about brand loyalty? You know how easy it is to switch this stuff. And so it affects just every single aspect of our lives. But I feel like sometimes the midsize or small companies think that they're somehow exempt from some of this scrutiny, but, but they're really not. <laughs> no, they're, they're really not. And actually, I think in some ways they're, they're more vulnerable because mm. the, the bigger companies are investing in this and will continue to make better experiences with, with bigger budgets, uh, greater investment, um, and it can really you know, lock them out at some point. So uh, I think it's critical. And, you know, it's the big thing that people are like, oh, who's the next big disruptor? Well, you only get to be the next big disruptor when you really know what consumers want and you deliver it with unprecedented, you know, just spot onness. <laughs> you right, know, right. yeah, but you you can't get to that without some, you know, really listening to that feedback and looking long and hard at UX. Yeah. And you know what I think is really exciting, actually, about the space, Priscilla, is that um, there is a place for the, the really advanced uh, professional UX researcher. And there are some really, really great ones. And that's part of what's really exciting being in the space is, is working with people who are uh, true experts, um, so professional about that practice. And it's great to see it as a practice. But at the same time, there are, uh, there are relatively easy things that can do like a basic usability test one-on-one interview, you know, some small task-based kind of prototyping work that, that gets done uh, in more of a democratized fashion with mm. designers, product managers. Um, lots of people touch this stuff because there are a whole lot of people that are stakeholders internally. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a bifurcated space right now. Right. There, are the, there are the tools for everyone, um, and then there are the tools for, uh, for the experts. Well, I, you know, when we think about like how just the digital experience, I mean, you know, online has changed the way we live, the way we get up, the way we think, the way we, we walk into a different room. I mean, there's just no ignoring it. And so this small piece of the puzzle, but a very important piece of the puzzle is UX research. And I just, Matt, thank you so much for breaking it down for people and really hopefully also you know, maybe lighting a fire under some people and some teams and saying, look, we've got to figure out what our customers say. We need to get like real facts and and, and start really designing experiences, products, uh, looking for, I mean, just everything that gets designed, um, even if it's not a tangible object, whatever is being designed needs to be understood in terms of the user experience. Yeah. When you have those aha moments, and I've had so many now um, at users, and when you see a user go through uh, an experience, when you you think that they think of it this way, 
and they take a completely different path and you're like, no, no, no. And then you see the next person that does the same thing. And it's totally not what you expected. You have that aha moment. You realize, oh, okay. I know what's wrong with the design and uh, everybody can have that experience. Okay. So, so this, is my, this is my confessional <laughs> that also I had to call my sister this weekend because I kept trying to modify a, a all-inclusive reservation we were making as a family. And I kept clicking on the face of the number of people in the party. And I'm like, it doesn't work. It doesn't let me put more people in this yeah. room. And then finally she's like, well, just call me. Let me see what you're doing. And she's like, well, press the modify button right underneath that. <laughs> I was like, user experience. Exactly. Why should there be a modified? Why? Why? Why I could just put it on the face. Exactly. (laughs) So, well, that is just in in a nutshell what Matt does. Matt, uh, how can they find you at UserZoom? Just as a big thank you for coming on and and sharing your expertise with us. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, You can find me at mvalley at userzoom.com. Or, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. So it's Matt Valley and it's V-A-L-L-E, but you also have to check out his podcast. It's called Rock and Roll Research Podcast. Make sure that you take a look at it and give, I mean, you got to go over there. Come on, podcaster to podcaster, um, uh, check out what he's doing, but it's really amazing in how he is really giving a very cool uh, uh, vignette into backstories and side gigs that research pros and insights pros are doing. So very, very fun um, look at an industry that maybe isn't always accused of being fun. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to dig a little under the surface and find it all. You got to know Matt, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks so much, Priscilla. I appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.